Uh, good morning, everyone. I am Simon, um, uh, Senior Minister here at Kingswood Anglican. It's great to have you. And if you're just uh, passing through today, if you're a guest with us, we're, we're so glad that you're here. And I hope that you can stick around for a, a cup of tea afterwards and enjoy getting to know us. And we'd love to get to know you. Uh, we're just in a little bit of a holiday break, so we've just last week and this week having a little dive into Revelation and not staying here for long. We're going to be continuing on a different sermon series next week. But I wonder if you um, have a concept of how big the universe is. I actually doubt that you do. I'm not sure that anyone has a real understanding of how big the universe is. I know you might be thinking, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard this before. I know, I know how big the universe is. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've built a diorama of the universe at one stage in the history of your life, and you know the facts, but do you really comprehend how big? I can't comprehend it. Um, I watched a video during the week, uh, and, um, and, and a person was putting together a scale model of the universe, of our solar system. Forget about the universe. That's way big. Uh, let's just narrow it down to something that we can comprehend, and that's our, our own solar system. And in their, in their um, scale, they used a, a, a football field as the, as the whole breadth of the solar system. And to that scale, in the way that they did it, uh, they brought the size of planet Earth down to about the size of a regular marble. And so there's, there's planet Earth. And just a few metres away on their scale was the sun, and it was about the size of a, of a minibus. Uh, and there's the, there's the earth and there's the minibus and the scale went out there. He had to uh, concede at the end that although the, the, although that the, uh, uh, although that the, there you go, there's a picture to, just to keep you all awake. Uh, although although the, um, the size scales of each of the planets to the sun he had done in scale and the distances that he'd done from all the planets were in a scale. They weren't the same scales. He had to reduce the distance. He said, if, I had this, if the earth was the size of a marble, I would need 100 more football fields to actually get the, the solar system into the one, uh, one diagram. Uh, and he said, look, here's the, sol- here's the planet Earth, the size of a marble, and on that planet there are 8 billion people. And if you were to be represented on that model scale, then you'd be probably something like the size of bacteria <laughs> that we can't see with the naked eye. Does that blow your brain away? Um, I, I can describe it, but I just I can't comprehend it. Uh, the distance of the, of the universe is... And so it ought to make us feel awfully small. That if you, know, if you could imagine that God was holding earth in his hands, how insignificant are we to God, the one who made, makes the heavens and the stars? How insignificant are we? And the video ended, the guy said, well, what makes you important? What, is it this, your size that makes you important? He said, no. And then he left it a rhetorical question. He said, what makes you special? What is it that makes you special? And the, the video ended as if you have to, have to find that answer out for yourself. Well, I think the Revelation 2 and 3 gives us a, a, a glimpse of the answer to that. What makes us special is not our size, it's not uh, your achievements, but it's that God knows you. What makes you special is God and his attention on us. Last week, we had a look at Revelation 1, and Cameron helped us to open our eyes to the, the, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's nothing before him. There's nothing after him. He is the creator. He is the great ruler of the universe. And he's also the judge of all mankind, and he's also the loving, caring creator who came to save us. We, we lifted our eyes to see the great, great glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that picture of Revelation 1, ought to, it ought to, although I, I feel that we, feel we fall short of it, it ought to make us feel very 
small in comparison to God. Uh, who are we? Well, in Revelation 1, verse 11, uh, in the, the chapter last week, in Revelation ch- chapter 1, verse 11, God said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, that's really Im- important. He said, what you see there, this vision, write it down. Don't let it get lost in the history of time. Write down what you see and send it. Mail it away. Send it off. And who does he send it to? He sends it to seven churches. He doesn't send it to to kings or presidents or the UN or YouTube. He sends it to the seven churches. How significant that, that the grand vision of God ought to be packaged and put in a scroll and sent off to churches. Uh, churches like ours. He writes to seven churches, seven letters to seven churches. And it's not that these seven churches were particularly special. Uh, tuning into the language of Revelation, it's the fact that he uses the number, number seven. It's a whole number. It's the complete number. Uh, and so he's writing not just to seven churches, he's writing to the churches, to all of us. And it's, it strikes me that every one of us could read any of these letters to the churches and go, oh, yeah, we need to listen to that. And so because we are not the church in Ephesus or Smyrna, we, we don't have to read their letter. No, but God writes to all of us. He, the God of the, of the universe writes to us little bacteria-sized people. And even in that bacteria-sized uh, scale, he doesn't write to the kings and rulers and geniuses and Hollywood stars. He writes to the church. God's focus, his attention, is on the church God's uh, passion is on the church because God has entrusted the church with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't take anything away other than that sentence, that's what I want you to learn today, that God has entrusted the church with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. God writes to the churches. Revelation 2 and 3 show us the passion that God has for his church and our importance is not based on our size but on the living God who speaks to us And we need to ask ourselves, are we listening? Have we listened? Have we heard? There's a rhetorical, there's a repeated um, line at the end of every letter that he writes to the churches is, have you listened? Have you heard what the Spirit says to the churches? Well, let's look at this. Now, there's seven letters. Obviously, well, not obviously, I should say that we could spend a seven-week series on this, couldn't we? Every week, a new church. But I think there's benefit in in doing a a broad overview of these two chapters and I I, I hope that you'll walk away nodding and saying yes that was worthwhile but I could I will challenge you I will invite you that there's seven letters to seven churches and there's how many days in a week about seven I think and so you could take a letter every day this week or or in two weeks time and why don't you why don't you use that as your quiet time as as your time to read the bible open the bible and pick a letter uh, start at letter number one and go through sequentially. I don't think I need to do, give you that much detail. That's micromanaging you. But why don't you use that as um, uh, to, to ponder what God says and to pray in response to God's word. Well, there's a pattern. There's a pattern um, in the letters. There's a pattern in the letters and there's a pattern of the letters. That's not a typo. But let's just start with the pattern in the letters. In each letter, they have the same structure. Uh, God writes to the angel. Now, there's... Um, different interpretations of who this angel is, but it's, I think, likely the, the leaders of the churches, the, the, the pastors, etc. He writes to the, to, the, to the angel, the messengers, 
Uh, and it says, so to the angel, from him who? And then there's a, 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 a description of Jesus using the same imagery that we've already looked at in chapter 1. So the gl- great glory of Jesus in chapter 1 flows through to the contents of the letters. This is the one who writes to the churches, uh, the one who holds the churches and, hold- and walks amongst them, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who died but is now alive. He conquered death. You need to listen to this one. The, words, uh, who, the one who holds, whose words are a double-edged sword. He, he, he fights with his words, uh, whose eyes are like blazing fire. I remember Cameron telling us last week that that imagery is like you can't escape his light. He's the son of God who is noble and true, who holds the key to the universe, to eternity. He is the amen, the full stop. He's the last word. He's the faithful and true witness and ruler of God's creation. This is, what is, this is the writer to the seven churches. So to the angel, from him who is all of that, he says, I know. And we've already been told this morning that this is, the, this is repeated in every letter. I know. I see. I, I, I've watched you. And then he says, so, and I've also seen, and more often than not, he has something to rebuke the churches over and therefore repent or stand firm. And then he ends each letter with, hear what the Spirit says. You notice that the, that the Word of God says, in, in chapter 1, he says, write down what you saw, which is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Write down this and send it to the churches. And in each letter, he concludes, have you heard what the Spirit says? You see, the Word and the Spirit are, are unified. There's no separation of the two. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the one who responds well, the one who conquers, the one who's victorious, the one who stands firm, etc., I will give. And then there's a a gift mentioned, a different one at the end of each church that seems to correspond with the rebuke or what they what God saw in the church. So there's a there's a pattern in all of them, but there's actually a pattern of the letters, and this is why I'm choosing to do Revelation two and three in one big hit because I want us to just look at the pattern of them as we stand back and and see how God has shaped uh, this. There are seven letters and there is a mirror of of the first and seventh letter they seem to be very similar they start with positive and they end with a great big rebuke for them both and the rebuke that they both receive is quite uh similar there's a comparison between letter one and letter letter seven and you're going to see spoiler alert that when we get to the next point it letter two and letter five uh have have a mirror image uh, and they are they they complement each other, but they're very positive. Letters two and five have no negative things to say about them, and that draws our attention to letters uh, three, four, and five at the centerpiece. And what does what is our eyes being drawn to? If this is true, letters one and seven uh, match. Letters two and six match. Then what does letters two, three, and five? Three, four, and five. What does three, four, and five have to say to us? Well, let's have a look at uh, the first and the last letter uh, in detail. You'll see that I'll get less and less detailed as we go along because I want us to see the pattern and see what God is having to say to us um, because of this pattern that we see. to To the church in Ephesus... He says, let me read a little bit from there. To the angel, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, that sounds really bizarre, doesn't it? But, it's, uh, but the seven stars 
are the leaders of the church. Uh, They are the angels. And the seven lampstands are the church. Why do I know this? Because the book of Revelation tells us. You just have to search it up. Cameron gave us that clue last week. If you, when you hit a, a stump like this, an imagery in Revelation, just look at the book of Revelation to get the answer. And if it's not in the book, it's in the Old Testament somewhere. Uh, the book of Revelation is not as hard to understand as people may think. Uh, so to the words of him who holds the angel of the church in his hands and, and walks among the seven gold, uh, walks among the churches. God holds us and he's, and he's among us. That's what he writes to the church in Ephesus. And then he says, I know, verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have, got, and have not grown weary. I would love God to say that of, our, of, of any church that I belong to. Really positive words. You've, you've stood... You've stood firm, you've not tolerated wickedness, you've held to the word of God, you've persevered, you've stuck fast. This is, God is giving them praise and celebrating what they've done. Your deeds, you've, stand, you've stood up against wickedness. Yet, verse 4, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken the love you had at first. This is a strong church that loves the truth. They love God. They love the word of God. They love good preaching. They love uh, to, to, to nut out all, all the nonsense and get stuck in to, to, the, to the sure and, and pure word of God and, and, and being faithful to, to Jesus and persevering through trials of all sorts. But somehow they've lost the very love that they had at the beginning. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking, well, the, the church is being told to fall in love with God again. And there's a sense in that in which that's true. But I want to suggest that that's not how they became Christian to begin with. They didn't didn't work hard in order to be an established, strong church. They became a church because God loved them first. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world, this world, this little marble full of 8 billion bacteria... Uh, This world has not shown any love for God, but God loved us and sent Jesus into the world to save us and to gather us together to be a church who would listen to the words of Jesus, the one that God had sent into the world and said, listen to him, this is my son, this is my beloved son whom I love, listen to him. You see, what I'm saying is that the church in Ephesus didn't step up one day and say, hey, we need to be godly. Let's build a church and let's conquer this world for God. No, God said to, to people that you are sinners who have gone astray, but come back through the love of God, through the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. No forgiveness that's been paid for you at the cross. What is the love that they have lost? It's the love that responds to God's love. They've forgotten grace. They've, they love truth. They love perseverance, but they've forgotten grace. He says that you'll be removed if you don't repent. It's that serious. We can't come before God on judgment day and say, hey, I did all the rules. God says, yes, but you've taken your eyes off Jesus. You've, you've, you've boasted about your efforts 
and not stuck clinging to the cross of Christ. Strength didn't save them. It was the love of God that saved them. He says, you'll be removed if you don't repent. Remember the grace of God. We didn't fight for salvation. God gave it to us. And so it is a a love of our heart that we have respond to God, but it's a, a response to his love first. He says, to you who repent, you will enjoy paradise with God. That's how he concludes that letter. You see that the gift that he says, look, if you repent, come back to God and enjoy the gospel. Uh, that Jesus is king, that the grace of God saves you. If, you. if you come back to him the way that you did at the beginning, then I will give you the reward that you wanted at the beginning, and that is community with God, to enjoy uh, uh, good fruit in paradise with God forever. Well, there's, there's the church in Ephesus, letter number one. Let's look at that parallel letter that, that, that uh, in, in the letter seven, Laodicea, chapter three, verses 14 to 22. He says to them, as we heard in the kid's spot, he says, you are lukewarm. You are lukewarm. Um, you know, if your name is Luke, that's fine. Uh, you should be as warm as you are. But, uh, but this is an insult. You are lukewarm. You are... Con- uh, Chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. Let me just read a few verses here. To the angel of the church... Sorry, where are we? Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold... I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's horrible words, isn't it? Uh, To the church in Ephesus, he says, I will will remove your lampstand if you don't repent. To the church in Laodicea, he says, I will spit you out if you keep on being lukewarm. So we need to understand what that means, don't we? As you read the the letter to Laodicea, he he says, "You're, you're content. You're perfectly content with this world and you're blind to your poverty with God. Somehow you've found this groove where you, you, you're happy in your position as a church, but you're also happy in your position in the world. You, you have no wants or needs. You're doing fine. You're cruising. But you've actually lost your coldness and your heat. It could be that you, you're neither desperate for salvation because you understand your poverty before God, nor are you thriving for God because because being saved you're living out that hope that blessed hope and living as a vibrant church with your first love on fire you're neither desperate for salvation nor are you thriving with God you're just cruising in the middle and and it may not make much difference if someone looks at our lives and says you know take God out of this equation you'd continue to be just as you are you think everything is okay but God wants you to come to him and be clothed by him. You know, one of my favourite verses in the Bible is Colossians 2, uh, 6 and 7. And I think that that verse is what both the church in Ephesus and the church in Laodicea need to hear. That just, um, just as you received in the past, just as once upon a time you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted, established, built up and taught. Uh, don't come to Christ and then go on to something else. Don't come to Christ and forget that you needed him to begin with. Come to Christ and continue to grow up in maturity in Christ. Well, there's letters one and, and seven. Uh, affirmation. 
of what they're doing a very big yet. And if you don't repent, I will reject you. It's, it's that serious. But letters 2 and 6 have no negative words about them. The letter to Smyrna and to Philadelphia, who I've just abbreviated as Philly, and not, not the cheese, but if that helps, that's a memory hook is fine. Uh, these are the faithful endurers. And to them, he says, stand firm. To the, letter, to, uh, the church in Smyrna, he says, from the one who conquered death, don't fear death. From the one who has conquered death, don't fear death. What a wonderful, simple line that is. They were surrounded by the enemy. He says, I see your suffering to the church in Smyrna. I see it. The devil himself is against you. It's dangerous. I can see what you're going through and it's hard. But he says, I know. I know what you're going through. God knows it. He sees. He walks amongst. He understands. To the church in Philadelphia, he says, I know people are trying to cast you out. I know people are threatening you. I know people are trying to tell you that you are not really a church. But Jesus says to that church, I'm the one who holds the door. I am the, I am the door master. I own the key and there's no one who comes in and out of this door unless I will it. And Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, you are welcome in my door. You've already got access. The door is open to you. So he says to them, hang in there. He says to them, hold fast. He says, stand firm. And with these beautiful four words, he says, I am coming soon. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? That to, to, a, to these two churches who he has nothing negative to say, he does say, I know that you're doing it hard. But he says, I'm coming. There's an end to this. And you know, the door is already open. Don't let anyone think that, that they can close it for you, close it on you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this, this great I am who writes these churches says, hang in there, stand firm, hold fast. I'm coming soon. And so that brings us to these last three letters. One and seven, uh, affirming, but have a, a great big warning sign. You're about to be spat out. Pay attention. Letters two and, and six, just encouragement. Just stay firm. Stick with Jesus. It, irrespective of what's going on around you, stick with Jesus. And so these last three letters... Um, have a very similar flavour. They are all negative, very negative, and they have three dangers in them. Uh, one danger for each church, to the church in Pergamum, the church in Thyatira, and the church in Sidus. And he says to the church in Pergamum, in, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, and to 17, he says, you tolerate false teaching. That's your problem. That you let untruth, you let fake news enter your church, and you tolerate it. He says, just some of you, not everyone, but some among you are tolerating a truth that, is, that doesn't come from the mouth of God. It's not the sharp double-edged sword. It's something else. It's lies. And you're being, you're being teased and tempted to let soft words come in. We want truth-telling in the church. Truth-telling is, uh, is you know, I wonder if that's going to be the the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year or something, truth-telling this year. We want truth-telling in our church. We want the gospel. We want, we want who Jesus is to be proclaimed in our church. 
And when false teaching, we call, we call it heresy, heresy comes in, we want to just poke our eyes up, ears up, and say, hey, hang on, something, something is being taught around here that's a bit fishy. Let's put an end to that and stick to the, the pure and simple truth of Jesus. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who rocks the world. So the church in Thyatira, he says, you tolerate false living. So Pergamum tolerated false teaching. Thyatira tolerates false living. We might call that immorality. But we want our life, we, we want, the Bible doesn't push us towards being churches who just do good things. We're not, we don't define ourselves on all the things that we do good and that's what makes us good and righteous. The Bible says, no, actually come to the cross, come to Jesus, come to forgiveness, understand who the king is and have your life spring out of the hope and grace and mercy that's been shown to you. We want lives that spring from the hope that we have. I know we've finished the book of 1 Peter, but there's that verse that's been ringing around my ears for months. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His great mercy, he has given us new birth. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't give us a bunch of rules on how to do good. I mean, there is plenty of wisdom in the Bible, heaps of wisdom in the Bible about how to do good. But what fuels our goodness is the cross of Christ that from that we springboard into lives of righteousness and holiness. We, we are drawn towards God and become more and more like him. We don't tolerate false living, immorality. The world around us wants us to, uh, wants us to blend in, be no different. But friends, we, we, we're not standing strong for morality because morality makes us saved. We stand up for morality because there is a God who, who made us and created us and designed us and has a good life in store for us. The church in Pergamum, he says, you tolerate false teaching or heresy. The church in Thyatira, he says, you tolerate false living or immorality. And to the church in Sardis, he just says, you're, you're, you're dead. You're, you're a dead church. You are, the lights are on, but there's nobody home. You might be singing great songs. You might be, have a great big roster going. You might be giving to the poor. You might be doing all sorts of things. As people come to the church in Sardis, they go, wow, that's a great big church. That's an awesome church. But God sees and God knows and he says there is no life in that church because they've forsaken, they've turned away from worshipping God in spirit and in truth. They've, 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 their eyes are on, some, on anything but. And so the focus of the church in Sardis is the word idolatry. They're worshipping all right, but they're not worshipping the living God as he's presented himself to them in the Lord Jesus Christ. So these three churches in the middle give us three things that actually blend together uh, false teaching or heresy which actually leads to false living immorality and of course the foregone conclusion is that we're not even worshiping god we can be a church on the outside we can have signs and placards and and turn up at the same time every week but are we a god, are we a church that worships the living god with joy because we know him through christ who paid for us and, and who brought us home who opens the door and says, we, I just want you to stand firm, stick with me, and I'm coming soon. We can't have any of those things. Heresy, immorality, and idolatry. We can't have it. We want to listen to the spirit who writes to the churches. At the end of every letter is that recurring line, listen to the spirit 
who writes to the churches? Are we listening? Do we have ears to hear? The life of the church represents the ministry of God on this earth. Do you hear that? Remember this little, this little marble of a planet? And there's 8 billion people on it. I don't know how many churches are on it. I wouldn't even know how to count that. There's no registry anywhere. But God sees and God knows and God walks amongst. And so some churches, God says, actually, you, you're already dead. You just don't know it. There's some churches he says, look, you are doing really well, but if you don't change soon, I'm spitting you out. But to some churches he says, stand firm, continue on the path that you're on because Jesus bought you, Jesus made you, Jesus will bring you home. We have been entrusted with the ministry of God on earth. We've been described in these, these seven letters in the church in Ephesus is described as the lampstand. The church is the stand on which holds the lamp and the lamp is the light of the world. And if we don't hold the truth of God as demonstrated and as shown to us through Lord Jesus Christ, if we don't hold that properly, then where else can the world go to find eternal life, to find truth, to find meaning, to find substance? We have a job to do. We've been entrusted. God's attention in this world is on us, on the church, to do well. And so that's why I'm actually really excited in the next coming weeks, next term, to be looking at what a healthy church looks like and to be celebrating ways in which we are already demonstrating health, a healthy church. And then other ways, just going, okay, let's do this a little bit better, a little bit differently. I'm looking forward to working through this together as a church. Um, growing a healthy church is like looking at these seven letters in Revelation and saying we want to do all we want to listen to those seven letters and do all the good things and and reject all the bad things and so be the church that God has entrusted the ministry of his son to it's a very it's a very important task that we've got as a church presidents kings hollywood stars youtube geniuses um, billionaires they look important to this world, but God's attention is on the church. And has he entrusted the word of Jesus to the right people? God's passion for the church is clear, but have we listened to the spirit of the churches? And are we encouraged to keep on going? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for closing out your, the entire Bible with these seven letters to the churches. It is striking to think that when you package up the glorious image of Jesus and send it into the world, you've entrusted um, weak and shallow people as us to lead the world towards righteousness. Father, please help us to be aware of our need for the gospel, for the grace given to us through Jesus Christ. Help us to be desperately aware that we need to be forgiven. And Lord, being forgiven, help us to be aware that we are to work um, with joy to serve this planet with the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us um, in the coming weeks, in the coming years, while we wait for your son to return, help us not to be lukewarm, but to be both hot and cold. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to not lose our first love, 
but to enjoy the message of Jesus Christ died for our sins. And Lord, help us to live lives um, springboarding from the hope that you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.